0: We're programmed for survival. So our instinct is to give up on these situations to move away from them. I thought if I didn't sign up for that race that I was just going to disappear. It doesn't have to be these big, huge things that everyone thinks you need to do to make a difference. Hey folks, just to let you know, this episode is actually from last year when we first launched the Closer by the Mile non-alcoholic IPA in partnership with the Pan Mass Challenge. Uh, But we are launching that beer again. It's available now. Heck, it might be sold out for all I know. But we thought, hey, you know, we're, we're we're getting the beer out there again, two years in a row. Let's go ahead and showcase Billy's story two years in a row. Billy is the founder of the Pan Mass Challenge. He started it over 40 years ago uh, to deal with the grief of his mother passing away from cancer. Uh, he decided just to ride his bicycle across Massachusetts. It's a way to 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 kind of deal with the grief and also raise support, raise money for cancer research. A bunch of people joined him. They raised $10,000, and the Pan Mass Challenge was born. And I absolutely love this story because it just started off as trying to deal with something that a lot of us are going to go through, whether that's grief, whether that's disappointment, a huge life trajectory change for for better or worse. Uh, and, And to deal with that, he turned to making the world a better place. And it started this spark that has grown literally into the largest fundraiser in the country. If you don't find that inspiring, I just don't know how to help you because to me, that is that is what life is all about, overcoming these obstacles and finding a way to make the world better. And hearing Billy talk about where it began to where it is now, is just it's just mind-blowing. I mentioned it on last year's podcast and I'll mention it here again. It's almost like telling an acorn, like, hey, see that giant oak tree over there? You're gonna look like that one day. And then you look at this little tiny speck of, of nothing. It's hard to believe. It's hard to believe. And I, and I just love that. I love that when people decide to do something and make a difference, you just don't know what it's going to grow into. So if you're out there and you're thinking, you know, I've got an idea or I've got something I've been wanting to deal with or grief I've been wanting to process, and you're looking for a healthy way to make the world a better place, raise some money, do something, I encourage you listen to this, start making a plan, start figuring something out, learn from Billy, learn from folks like him, and make a difference you can do it. All right, here's the story. Uh, Billy Starr, founder of the Pan Mass Challenge. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much, Mason.
0: You know, we I know we talked a little bit before over the weekend, a little intro call, but I, I'd love to go all the way back for you, kind of back to the beginning of your story. Uh, did Did you grow up doing stuff like this? Did you grow up being adventurous, going after big challenges? And And, and also, where did you grow up?
1: so i grew up um, in the boston area a uh, suburb and went to school in colorado and you know i was a varsity athlete uh, playing soccer basketball and tennis sort of a 60s kid matriculating into all the outdoor adventure that was uh, busting onto the scene literally by the mid 60s to current day from backpacking to kayaking to rock climbing to bicycling I matriculated into all these sports in college and afterwards so i suppose it's fair to say outdoor adventure life was a part of my life it dovetailed with the other part of my personal experience that took place in my early 20s which was the uh, death and dying of my mother uncle and cousin all to cancer it derailed me from where I thought I might be going. And when I say might be going, I meant like Nepal, not career orientation. But, uh, you know, I basically stayed home and uh, it was um, it's tough stuff as whenever you lose loved ones. And uh, it really started germinating a scene of what could I do to be a part of this battle against cancer? What skills exactly did I have? uh, Which, quite frankly, was a lot about my own self-discovery. But I can say, with truth and good humor, I was probably about ten years into doing the Pan Mass Challenge before I recognized what my skills were—that they, you know, were getting traction and building momentum about event programming and sales and recruitment and logistics and all of this that was actually part of my teenage and early 20s life were finding uh, a home in this very new field of nonprofit event programming, which, frankly, didn't exist. And, uh, you know, prior to the Pan Mass Challenge, to my awareness, you know, you're really talking about black tie fundraising and or bingo night. The world of athons didn't exist and really didn't get much traction until the mid 90s. A good 15 years into the pan mass challenge so this was new ground not that I gave it a lot of thought because I was building something and it was very modest in the 80s but it grew so that's that's how it starts
0: grow it did my goodness now I I, I was reading in, a, in another um, interview you did and I, I heard you say, you know, you went to school out in Colorado, you were pursuing these, these adventurous things, you know, just a drifter. I heard you call yourself once and, uh, it felt like the world was your oyster. But when your mother passed it, it that feeling left you it, and you decided to come back home, w- what was it like for you to try to find your place once you got back home And this kind of exploration mindset was then turned back to, you know, Focusing on home, but you know, focusing on your mother before she passed and then finding what to do. Then, what were some of the things you tried, or what were some of the things that kept you motivated to to do something during during that time?
1: Yeah, well, I I should probably correct because I'm sure, literally speaking, drifter would not be the right word unless I was romanticizing it. I had great parents, I had real roots. I had a home. I had a great brother. I was from a close family. So my idea of drifting was probably, you know, hitchhiking around the world, uh, unrooted, untethered, making my own legacy in what had to the point that my mother, uncle and cousin became ill uh, was fairly idyllic. So, you know, all that stuff and having schooled out west, I naturally assumed I was going right back to Colorado uh, because I loved it. And I really struggled for much of my 20s with Eastern roots and Western lifestyles, so to speak. Uh, Eventually found a way to incorporate both here in Boston with my event, the Pan Mass Challenge. But, you know, I was a journalist. I had done sales. I went back to school. I got a master's in education. You know, it was all good, but none of it was soothing my soul. None of it felt like a calling to me. And I somehow thought I was supposed to have a calling. I have no idea why. But (laughs) there's something about the 60s that you were supposed to do something meaningful not get a job, do something meaningful. And that's, you know, it's a luxurious thought. You know, most people have to absolutely put bread on the table and that's to be respected. But that wasn't where my mind was at 18 to 25.
0: So in that pursuit, um, you got the idea for the pan mass, but what, what did it start out? Was it, what was the original idea and how did you start to execute it?
1: Well, when I came up with the idea of cross state ride, Williamstown to Provincetown, that's the Northwest corner of Massachusetts to the tip of Cape Cod is 302 miles. And, uh, I did not think of being an event. I just, I wanted to purge my pain, my losses, me, me, me. And I went to the Jimmy Fund, the fundraising arm of the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. I shared my idea. And a woman, I'll always remember, she played a small but very significant role in my life. Her name was Joanne Goldberry, And she asked, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to do a cross-state ride. She goes, what's your goal? I said, I want to raise money. And she hesitated and said, so you think you're better off doing this by yourself, do you? And I thought, she's right. I've got to be, I've got to lead. I've got to recruit an army. That's a much more intimidating idea.
0: Did did that scare you, recruiting other people into this purging of your pain?
1: Not scare. It gave me pause because I could speak for myself my emotions, my motivations, just, you know, I'd done a fair amount of solo everything at that point. And I knew myself, I knew what I was capable of, but I wasn't giving a thought past that cross-state ride. In 1980, when I created it, there was no thought of 1981, truthfully. It wasn't about, I'm going to make this big. That happened, that moment, that epiphany happened on Sunday night of the first year, when it ended, when it was over, what I experienced, what people were saying to me. And then I said, that was my line in the sand. I said, that's it. I'm going to make this thing big because I loved it. It turned me on.
0: So so how did that first year go in the middle of the ride? You know, obviously you get to the end, you make it, and it's it's exhilarating. How, how was it getting getting, how many people ended up signing up that first year, by the way, if you opened it up to a group?
1: So uh, very modest, and it was the only year. Thirty-six people rode 220 miles from Springfield to Provincetown, the tip of Cape Cod. And we did everything wrong. I mean, we <laughs> so we ran out of food. Everyone got lost. I ate fried clams. I got sick, and all this weird stuff. And the ferry broke down that was supposed to take us home to Boston. We had to we're like you know figure out how to catch buses home and I'm thinking to myself oh my god have I made every mistake you could possibly make but I'm listening to how people were talking on the bus what did meant to be a part of this how they too felt helpless when loved ones had suffered with cancer and what could they do we weren't doctors what could we do and then there, you know, I'm just hearing this undercurrent of next year, next year. I could help with this. This could be done better, et cetera. And uh, I listened to it and I knew that it resonated with them the same way it resonated with me. And that was it. Very modest, very simple, but very clear. I just said, that's it. I'm going to start flushing out this event, you know starting lines water stops food sponsors et cetera, et cetera and off i went
0: how, how quickly did you start to see that growth the next year and then you say it was you know 10 years before you saw your skills but but what were those first few years like in the growth of it and you know, how much time were you devoting to this and how were you pulling it off? Because I don't know if you were, you know, getting paid or working on the side. How did how, how you know what I'm saying? That's a it's, t- it's tough to grow it to that point.
1: Good question. I mean, first of all, I worked at my father's house for 15 years, occasionally living there as well. And even at the beginning the people, I, I, lived, I lived for three months in a tent in his backyard uh, in a small suburban <laughs> plot because that was my independence. I had no money. My dad bought me lunch every day and it was very modest. But when you grow from 36 riders to 210 riders in year one to two, that's real growth. You know, I was always able to show growth. And even though, like, you know, I remember like year three, I actually have the book in front of me, you know, where we list numbers and gift. I mean, it grew so modestly. 1982, 246 riders, 83, uh, 291. But the gift grew from 10,000 to 40,000 to 600, 60,000 to 100. And you know, when you grow from 60,000 to 100,000, 67% growth. And that seemed really big. What was going to kick in you know, in the in the 90s and beyond, you know, these multi-million dollar growths was a confluence of many attributes of which the PMC was surfing the curl of the wave and creating event programming tools, uh, obviously the creation of the web, which has helped every event in the world in like 97. Um, in the 80s, I used to go to the post office every day, hoping somebody would in July was registering for my event. And now in the new millennium, you know, 5,000 people register in the first week in January. That's, you know, that's real substantial. And, you know, uh, to, to take it all the way forward, uh, last year's event uh, was 6,815 riders, 4,000 volunteers, pass-through, which was our 13th consecutive year of that, resulting in a $63 million gift to the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. So since 1980, PMC has given $717 million to cancer research at Dana-Farber. And it's the biggest event in the world. That's,
0: I mean, how how do you, that's unbelievable.
1: Yeah, there's your 41-year, the 41-year thumbnail.
0: Jeez. (laughs) So, so, I mean, I mean congratulations, of course, and I, I know that y'all are just continuing to push this and continuing to grow and continuing to make this as big of an impact as possible. W- what were some of your largest either hurdles or, or pivots or just uh, maybe challenges along the way to get it to this point? Was there ever a time that you thought, can this continue or what is this going to be? Some of the most critical moments and, and how are you able to get through them?
1: You know, not not a question of could this continue, but managing individual crises from year to year, weather, town enforcement, uh, you know, we have a ship that got, that we sleep 600 people on that couldn't be docked. And we had to go through our state senator to get a replacement ship. Things that were going to either put a real impediment uh, or or stunt our growth, but never in the sense that the demand didn't continue to increase. And I want to add to the audience that I never did one bit of paid advertising. This was completely word of mouth. This was friends recruiting friends about a very cool weekend with a higher calling. And so, you know, this this sweat equity business of raising money for good causes is now a $5 billion industry. You know, the pandemic, if we're going to have that conversation, is obviously the biggest obstacle any of us have ever faced. But at its least, where other events have canceled taken a year off or gone virtual, the PMC will give somewhere between 30 and $50 million in a virtual status, even though we cannot commune on the weekend itself as a large group, no different than anybody else in the world. So that hurts. We were on our way likely to a $68 million gift. Uh, unlikely we will achieve that this year, but we will give real money to our mission, which has never changed since 1980.
0: Wow. I was going to ask you just about this year, particularly. I, I've heard a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of leaders say in their 40, 50, 60 years of leading, this has been the biggest challenge they've ever faced, and just how you and the PMC were responding. Um, but, you know, you, like you said, you might not reach that goal, but if it's 30, if it's 40 million, 50 million, that's. That's $50 million that wouldn't have been there otherwise. So that is something to still absolutely be proud of. And to be able to move this to virtual is, you know, it's got to be a blessing in a lot of ways. It's going to it's gonna come out as a blessing in disguise, I'm sure, in some ways.
1: You no, know, and it, it, it speaks to the commitment of the culture. Honestly, Mason, I mean, the PMC was the first event in the country to apply a credit card rule. It was to take the whole nonprofit-a-thon industry from good intentions to a commitment. That was 1997. And our delinquency rate went from 17% to 3% in one year. With an 87% alumni base, 41 years into this group, you got a you got a guy or gal who's been in this event an average of like eight years. They are committed. Now, you take away the ice cream Sunday of the PMC weekend, which is just a fabulous living experience on wheels with this massive love reunion across the state of Massachusetts, and you're left with the question, will the mission resonate with its constituency once you remove the live experience? So starting in March, when we knew we had to cancel, Uh, We began PMC 2020 Reimagine, of which has six components of a live televised opening ceremonies, deliverables that are going to show up at your door, fundraising tools, online applications and streaming all day and the way that we can keep community alive. But beneath it all, it ends up being the individual sense of accountability we released for the first time since 1997, everyone of their fundraising commitment, not so much the sense that they registered for this event, and you know what the mission is, but that nobody was going to be charged if they came up with less than the respective minimums for the respective routes, which are as much as $5,000 or more. So all of us, we're in a brand new world. But to a very significant majority of PMC riders this commitment is real and it's going to provide fascinating data when it's over about the things we did right the things we did wrong but the the final analysis it's the individual sense of accountability to the mission built into the way that they themselves have built the PMC into their lives and As nervous as I am that we will fall off, I know we will still achieve great things in a reimagined world where they're going out on PMC weekend all over the country, all over the world, as we are 46 states and 15 countries to have their reimagined PMC rides with small groups or solo, wearing our jersey. And raising money—that's a pretty powerful statement.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, 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 that's a—it's an understatement to say the least. It's incredibly powerful, and in the fact that you're being forced to go virtual. There, there, there are people that might be able to participate now that couldn't have before, just because the internet connects us.
1: Wonderful comment. We have so far signed up an additional. 800 virtual riders, there is no registration fee, no fundraising minimum, you know, and if they raise a thousand bucks, we're going to send them a jersey or some piece of PMC merchandise. But yeah, if you want a taste of PMC world and um, being a part of the biggest event in the world, that modest, no commitment at all, go online at pmc.org and register and raise money.
0: Do you think this world of, of, of thons and fundraising is still, is something that is, you know, what you're doing and all the other organizations you've helped influence to, to be created in this $5 billion industry. Do you think there's still a lot of runway ahead, a lot of growth to be had? Do you think that this is just scratching the surface? The last forty years of what you've been doing, more people that could essentially feel this fulfillment that the thousands of people that you get to participate in the PMC are feeling.
1: Again, that's a terrific question. You know, I part yes, part no. Uh, it's about leadership, about cause, it's about sharing mission directive. It's a lot about the tools that people bring, but I could also add to this discussion. if there's like $250 billion tied up in philanthropic trusts all over the country. The wealth that has been made in this country over the last 20 years is unprecedented. And yes, we're in a recession, if not a depression, the The full extent of which none of us know yet. But there are fundraising tools and um You know, like, you know, Fidelity Charitable, where people have put money that they cannot get back. It's dedicated to philanthropy. Whether they choose to exercise it this year or in the course of their lifetime, they have to give it away. And as much as the money's not earning money like it had in the past, people have been doing this for a long time. So organizations need to share with their in our case our ridership and or our donor base, that there are dozens of ways to give. And of course, every donation is valued. Nobody ever gave money. They can't give. So whatever organization you're a part of, I suppose a little pearl I would ask is you can never be afraid to ask for money when the money's not for you and it's for a cause you believe in. It it, you know, some are bigger brand, bigger names, but People may not give you what you might hope, but they might likely also give you something. And there's no apology involved. Uh, Again, as I said earlier, this is now or was a four or five billion dollar industry. That's just the thon, not the nonprofit world. And people, by and large, even this contentious times are decent and giving. And you have to give them a chance to be exactly that. So if you're involved with events like the PMC, you know, share your story, with your world. There's a lot of untapped potential out there, but people in my position and people who subscribe uh, need to put themselves up out there, and a lot of people are uncomfortable doing that.
0: Agreed. It uh, seems like the most uncertain times that. Some people take a chance, and in, in ten, twenty years down the road, they're the ones that are, that are in a place no one else was because they were willing to live without compromise. Essentially, you know, what what would you say? Do you ever think about or, or contemplate or, or think about what what your mom would think about all this forty-ish years later, and with all the growth and with everything that's happened? I can't imagine how proud she would be, you know.
1: Well, thank you. My, my mother was a volunteer with veterans. Uh, she had instilled that in my brother and myself about giving back. And I do have to include my my dad in this. Uh, he lived to see the PMC. Uh, he died in 98, but, you know, the PMC was now already uh, a $7 million gift. And we had been institutionalized there and I'd run my business literally out of his house until 1997 so together i know they were proud or would be proud and it's been it's been a great journey that's fantastic
0: oh well let me move into a uh, rapid fire and then we can uh then we can wrap it up all right that's awesome so uh what what would you say you're most curious about right now outside of pmc and outside of of that role that you play
1: our next president, that we move this country back to a better place in what we can be.
0: Very timely. And uh, yeah, that'll definitely uh, consume a lot of your thoughts, right? Especially right now as we get closer to election. What what would you say your proudest achievement is outside of your career with PMC?
1: My wife and family, my daughters. Love to hear that. Uh,
0: So what would you say your biggest goal that you've not yet achieved?
1: <laughs> I'd like to turn the clock back as you, <laughs> as you, as you, I'd like to slow down time. I don't know anyone, anyone my age who wouldn't like to slow down time. You know, all those, all those old cliches you heard, they're all true about time flying. You know the older you get, it's mathematical as well, but you know, savor every minute. You don't, we don't know what comes after it, but what's here now? Even in a pandemic, there are good moments.
0: That's good words. I feel like it's something that's hard to do until you're, until you realize just how much time you've lived. And yeah, I I hear it all the time. But yeah, it's very difficult to try to live in the moment and take advantage of every little experience when the kids screaming in your ear and bills are due, all that. But that's
1: that's that's your age group right now. My kids are a little older, so you'll get (laughs) through it.
0: Well, I'm going to ask this a little bit selfishly. Uh, man, what do you say to someone who, who really has the desire to make a difference, feels that calling that you were talking about, but doesn't really know what to do about it or where to start? What what kind of advice could you share with that person?
1: Well, first of all, I, I've, I've talked about this for probably 30 years since I've been on the ra- radar for public speaking or this kind of a question, and that is failure is so overrated or misspoken as a negative, I don't know anything that teaches better other than like a world class mentor than failure. you know every every rainy day, every failure tends to sit stronger in the brain than the hopeful multiple successes or sunny days you might have. Uh, therefore, particularly to the young people in this audience, jump in. Uh, you will never be this free again for most of you, uh, that uh, you will learn a tremendous amount. You'll learn absolutely a lot about yourself. You may also learn your dream was wrong or not for you, but it would be weird to go through life thinking, what if I did this? What if I did that? That you thought was core to your belief system or your desire and passion. Usually, typically, if you're passionate, It's absolutely just worth going at. If you can live your life working in a field that lights you up, why wouldn't you? And, you know, if you're 18 to 30 years old, it's unlikely that's coming back at you at 50 to 70. So now now is the time for the younger people. I'm not saying quit school. I believe in education, but I'm saying start thinking for real that you might be the answer. And and give it a shot.
0: Great words, Billy. To wrap it all up, what does it mean to live without compromise to you?
1: Well, it's an interesting phrase. As I, I, I used to chide myself that I thought I was a much more effective leader as a younger man, because I tended to see things more black and white. But the reality is, if you end up leading an organization, it's going to become more gray. You will compromise. And, and it might be exactly the right thing to do. Um, you can't ignore a different perspective. You can't ignore that the path ahead may go sideways first. Uh, if you continue to be a bull in a china shop, you won't necessarily get the greatest consensus that you might hope for. And you move beyond this concept of adolescence perfection. So a life without compromise is, I would be to say, to never lose sight of your goal. But it's not a straight line. Very few things are. That would be, I suppose, my way of answering that comment.
0: If you'd like to check out Closer by the Mile, be sure to go to athleticbrewing.com or you'll be able to order two six-packs or more free shipping pretty much anywhere in the country. You can also check out our other beers there. And also use our store finder if you want to find us on store shelves near you. And of course, if you'd like to follow the Pan Mass Challenge, it is happening this weekend. You can check that out at pmc.org. All right, keep living without compromise.